Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hi. So, as we all know, occasionally people get stuff wrong. Not us, though, obviously. In the 10 episodes we've been doing this podcast, we've never received a single correction email. An infallible indication that we are indeed perfect humans. Uh, other people, however, are less perfect. And in Hollywood, people's worst moments tend to be put on display for all to see. But a personal struggle shouldn't necessarily be a death sentence for your career. Uh, take, for example, our poster boy for these two movies, Robert Downey Jr. himself. His uh, struggle with addiction was more public than most people, but now he's worth $300 million. That's turning that frown upside down. <laughs> So it's really interesting when you like look at like history of Hollywood. It's always been very tolerant of like redemption arcs, like the story mm-hmm. of a redemption arc. Uh, thinking back, like there's obviously uh, probably earlier ones than this, but the the like the earliest high profile one I can remember is the Errol Flynn statutory rape trial. Yeah, like they were trying to get him for statutory rape or like. And also just regular rape for the same incident. Um, but the public was overwhelmingly on Errol Flynn's side, even though he was like a fairly, at least in the, the Hollywood circles, fairly well-known like philanderer and skirt chaser kind of guy. Um, he never said that he didn't try to sleep with underage girls. His like defense was, I just wasn't in the country at the time. Yeah. And apparently it worked. Um but he was still kind of like reviled for having been accused of it anyway. So uh, very similar to today. You just didn't see people accusing it as much back then. Uh, interesting to note is Robert Downey Jr. is actually very close friends with another Hollywood uh, personality that has been shunned for the most part, uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, I was I was. When we were kind of talking about, you know, ups and downs and redemption arcs, I was looking into like the Mel Gibson thing and Robert Downey Jr. like wrote an article in his defense in I believe like an Israeli newspaper. So that was kind of interesting to see how like those two were connected. I mean, kind of like in terms of this stuff being like way too public, part of the thing with like Mel Gibson's like anti-Jewish tirade and his drunk driving and all that stuff was um, some of the, I guess his lawyers at one point tried to block an article that was coming out that um, recounted some things that like Mel Gibson said in AA, which is huh. just like really kind of shitty. Yeah. That's scummy. Like guys trying to get clean, but we're going to use it against him. Yeah, because like part of the part of the AA twelve steps is like you have to make atonements for everyone you've hurt like through your addiction, and so it's a very personal thing, and usually it's done like with a sponsor, where you kind of journal and recount your like worst offenses in the you know height of your addiction, and that's not something that like then gets turned around turned around and like published in a paper. So that's yeah. just like exceptionally shitty to, you know, happen to someone who, you know, is giving, you know, is trying to turn his life around. Right. Um, what's interesting about Mel Gibson specifically, though, is that 
there's also kind of a history of like stars that are like still in the limelight or still, you know, uh, have a commodity in Hollywood and some clout in Hollywood using like an, a public awards to call for like, you know, social action or whatnot. And Downey Jr. I think when he won a golden glow very recently was like, it's time to end Mel Gibson's exile. Like he has atoned for the man he is and he deserves to come back into the fold kind of thing, which was met with applause. There wasn't any like silence. It was like, I couldn't imagine someone like, because what Mel Gibson did, you know, is reprehensible at the times, but you know, it seems that he's at least not that person anymore. I don't know right. about if he's truly atoned for that. And like, no one can know that except, you know, him himself and the people around him. Right. But, um, it's not like someone going up there, like what Harrison Ford did and dropped off Roman Polanski's Oscar for him for the crime that he still is evading the police for. Mm -hmm. And like, I get that there's some nuance to that. However, it Polanski can go suck a dick. Um, <laughs> I may like his movies and I can separate, you know, like Chinatown being an amazing piece of cinema from Roman Polanski being a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Separate the art from the artist. It'd be like, imagine if the Polanski stuff came out during the Me Too movement. Right. And instead of when it did and everyone had an opinion and it's been so long now that you can definitely be forgiven for wanting to think he should be forgiven. But at the same time, he's never had the balls to face his accuser of the consequences for his actions. Say what you want about Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr.'s, you know, sordid past or Errol Flynn. They all faced their, their uh, accusations. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Downey Jr. went to prison and Mel Gibson, you know, he had... I think it was like, you know, he went to AA, he's he's sober now, he he doesn't speak publicly, he he keeps a very low profile, whereas Polanski has, like, run from justice. Yeah. And did, um, yeah, pled guilty in the statutory rape case and... But then ran. Like, I'm yeah. not going to serve my time for that. I'm guilty of it, but fuck you. Yeah. One of the things I think it's important to make a distinction is... And in these two things, it's like Robert Downey Jr. and Mel Gibson. Well, Mel Gibson drove drunk, so that's another thing. But like in general, their crimes were kind of against themselves. Like, yeah, they were in the throes of addiction and said some horrible things. But that's something you can fix where you look at someone like Harvey Weinstein and his abuse of like the power of the platform he had to, you know, assault people. It's like, don't give him that platform back. Like, maybe he can be okay, but maybe he loses that power that enabled him to do these things. So I I just want to make that at least distinction that I have between, okay, who do we support in coming back and who do we maybe, I don't know. It's also, I maybe it's shitty to have a tier list of, bad well, people in hollywood but there's a different there's a difference between you know a few gaffes here and there or like you know a drug problem that goes out of control and something like a weinstein that is a, a predator that is mm -hmm. using his power and clout to ruin careers of those that he doesn't like or that you know don't like submit to him like 
to my knowledge, Mel Gibson didn't ruin anyone's career but his own. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, like, do you think, especially with now, and I hate using this phrase, but with like cancel culture or, you know, or call out culture, if you want to use the other name, like, do you think Robert Downey Jr. would have had the same rebound? Like, I know it wasn't that long ago, mm. but stuff has still changed since then. Well, the the thing to to look at is like how long it took him after he was released to get like a major role again. And that was considered a huge risk. I mean, when he got Iron Man in 08, it was still considered like this is a huge risk we're taking casting him to do this. Like there's mm-hmm. there, there's no way that this is a good idea. And like, I believe Marvel Studios at the time, which wasn't owned by Disney, like almost canceled the project because of Downey Jr.'s like involvement. Hmm. I, I I can't, I believe it was someone from the producers guild or like the head of Marvel studios just really championed him as like, no, he is Tony Stark. Like who better to, (laughs) to be our alcoholic, you know, uh, asshole ish guy with a redemption arc other than a man who has lived that life. Right. You know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang was the first big movie he did. And that was, you know, he got out in 03. That's two years later. But it was still, it was like a low budget. Like, no one really saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Which is a and shame. Yeah, and I think, like, also, would we have had the same Iron Man if, you know, Robert Downey Jr. didn't have this redemption arc? Like, you always hear about his, like, his whole thing with Burger King and how that's related to his own personal struggles and how it's portrayed in the movie. And yeah. Although it's not flattering to Burger King. <laughs> yeah. Unlike the movie that makes it seem like it's flattering. No. <laughs> he I was mean, like, I can't believe I'm eating this disgusting shit. What the fuck is my life? I need help. <laughs> so hats off to you, Robert Downey Jr. National treasure. <laughs> um, so this episode's matchup is about two men who are supposed to be helping the police with a case, but an old flame might have involved them a little more than they would like. So sharpen your wit, brush off your best one-liner, and Robert, your Downey Juniors. It's time for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang versus Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I see what so, you did there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I got to admit, so like when I first heard of this mashup, like I'd, I had seen both of these movies before. Uh, Sherlock Holmes I'd seen several times kiss kiss bang bang i'd seen like one time before this Uh i forgot like how close these how close like the major themes are and i I was thinking like oh you know maybe it's just a robert downey jr pairing and it's actually a lot closer than that closer than (laughs) i remembered yeah both of them play off a a beleaguered assistant that is in some ways (laughs) smarter than them um yeah the the old flame is not just a damsel in distress. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very capable in their own right. Yeah, it's a real good matchup. When when did you see both these films? Did you see... Because uh, I saw Sherlock Holmes in theaters, actually, with my mother. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I, I saw Sherlock Holmes in theaters as well. I mean, I, I had read a lot of Sherlock Holmes books. I think also with my mom uh, when I was a kid... Like she would read to really? me. I've never actually read any of the books. Uh, you can track them down. They're all out of copyright, so you can just yeah, yeah. find them for free. And it's Gutenberg it's pretty Project easy. Would be a good place to look. Exactly. Um, 
And so I, I saw Sherlock Holmes in theaters and then I, you know, watched a couple times on like HBO or whatever. Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is kind of in this like area of my life where I like got my own Netflix subscription and was getting DVDs. And I was just like, well, what movies should I watch? And I watched like a ton of <laughs> movies in that period. Yeah. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was one of them. So I actually watched it the first time. Similarly, it was actually the last movie that I rented from Netflix when it was primarily the DVD service. And I never returned it because my mother (laughs) threw away the return envelope. So I had nothing to return it in. And I was only like one movie out at a time or something like that. And so it's not like I could get another one and just slide them both in the same sleeve. And I didn't like take the time to look on the website to be like, request another return envelope or anything like that. So Netflix charged me 15 bucks for it and I still have it somewhere. Yeah. Seems worth it. I mean, it it is, uh, it is a good movie to end that on. It's also just kind of an interesting, like hallmark of the era of when Netflix was primarily DVD distribution. Yeah. Now I don't think there's a single goddamn person that still gets DVDs that (laughs) I know of. Uh, my stepdad does. (laughs) Well, I don't know him, so my point still stands. <laughs> Should meet him. He's a cool guy. Um, so obviously besides, well, all right. So slight editorial note, these movies at one time were linked by their IMDb score. Um, since then, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has criminally gone down by point one, which is unforgivable. In fact, yeah. I'm going to rate it right now. <laughs> You gotta log in to rate it to help to help fix that injustice. Yes, mine will offset the two hundred and five thousand other votes. It's interesting looking at the actual disparity between the two films in terms of their popularity as well. Yeah, far more people have voted on uh, Sherlock Holmes than have voted on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, like more than double. Um, so despite being linked at one point by their IMDb scores, they also have a vacant number of one. It's Robert Downey Jr. What? He's in both films? <laughs> uh, he is indeed. You might not recognize him under all that heavy makeup in Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> in some scenes. <laughs> yeah. Like that one um, scene where he plays basically Sigmund Freud. <laughs> Um, so besides Robert Downey Jr. himself, um, they are linked by the two uh, muses of the movie, Rachel McAdams and Michelle Monaghan. Uh, they are two degrees apart as Rachel McAdams was in The Notebook with old Cyclops himself, James Marsden, who is in The Best of Me with Michelle Monaghan. James Marsden's in that movie? Apparently. <laughs> That's what the internet told me. Oh, well, I only knew that Ryan Gosling was in it. Yeah, I think James Marston is like the love interest before that, or like he's some secondary love interest. That's that's, that's basically James Marsden's whole career. Yeah, he's that's who James the runner Marsden up. Was. <laughs> um, so both at one point were rated a notable six seven point six on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out. Take it away with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a 2005 movie written and directed by Shane Black, based on a novel by Brett Halliday, starring Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Michelle Monaghan. 
Shane Black is best known for this film, The Nice Guys, directing Iron Man 3, as well as an uncredited writer on Predator, which he recently directed the poorly reviewed and poorly received uh, The Predator. So there's Predator and The Predator. Don't get him confused. D- totally yeah. different films. Two distinct movies, which I totally didn't have to look up. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Lockhart, Robert Downey Jr., is a petty New York criminal who somehow ended up with an acting gig in L.A. While enjoying a typical Hollywood house party, Harry meets Gay Perry, played by Val Kelmer, a private detective who also happens to be a technical advisor and friend to the producer on the film that Harry is cast for. It's complicated. While on the typical job, snooping around to get pictures of an adultery and help uh, Harry get some, you know, behind the scenes uh, technical advising, the pair witness something they shouldn't. And so begin a series of seemingly unrelated mishaps that just might get them killed. Excellent. I fucking love this film. <laughs> oh, it's good. This this role was pretty much made for Robert Downey Jr. Everything about every scene is like... There's never one tone for any scene. Like, yeah. it can be like a really serious scene. So, like, one of the, an early scene is at that house party. He sees a creepy guy start to lift up <laughs> Michelle Monaghan's skirt. And yeah. he's like, he does, he gives this badass, just walk away. Don't think, don't say anything, just walk away. And then, like, you heard me. And then the next scene is Harry getting his shit kicked in <laughs> by that creepy asshole. <laughs> Oh, this this movie excels in like expectation subversion. Yes. Which, you know, I love, you know, not a unique feeling, but I I love it and oh. Then there's like immediately after that, like there's a scene where he, you know, you expect him to go home with uh Michelle Monahan's character on uh, Harmony it, at the bar. It's implying heavily that he's going to yeah, and then he wakes the up next to her roommate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Also, a, a pleasant revelation for me during this film is, like, how good Val Kilmer is in comedy. Which... Yeah, Val Kilmer is criminally underrated in roles that aren't Iceman. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, like, for me, growing up, like, that's what I knew him as. Like, I never saw... um is it uh hot shots what's the parody oh movie uh, top secret top secret yeah like that's i never young watched that Val Kilmer. that's like his second film role or something like that yeah like i've seen clips like you know the like playing tic-tac-toe in the window or like uh uh him sneaking up to the pair of boots yeah. like so i had some idea but holy shit he kills kills in this movie absolutely like chewing scenery in the most understated way well it's not chewing scenery he just like steals every scene he's in because yes he is like if this was a typical movie he'd be the hero you follow and if this was a typical film harry lockhart would be way more competent than he is but he somehow bumble fucks his way to being (laughs) successful yeah and again, just expectations of version, like it's so well versed in like movie tropes and the whodunit genre, basically. Yeah. Just like really good just deconstruction of uh And like it's even part of the frame narrative within like uh, yeah, we don't wanna like spoil it because like 
it's so hard to like even if we told you what was going on and who was who who it was like it'd be like huh (laughs) because it's got one of those like typical like crazy twisty turny things and like they reference within it this series of book called johnny gossmer which is that even real i don't believe so i i feel like it's the kind of thing you would have to make up for this movie yeah, the first results I'm getting are all kiss, kiss, bang, bang related. Yeah. This live journal from 2009. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, that's rough to look at. That's some vintage internet right You, you took that leap. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was enough to see that, no, they just made them up for the story. But, like, these just trashy pulp novels that are, like, not well written and, like, are just, yeah. like, trite. And, like, they get insulted within the, the narrative of the movie. But then they're also like, you know, but fuck that. Yeah. But then also like the movie just kind of follows the same pulpy plot to a degree. Oh, it is literally a Johnny <laughs> Gosper mystery with Gay Perry, con- who is an actual private detective being like, it doesn't work like that. This is real life. <laughs> Also, I didn't count, but they make reference to like, oh, Johnny Gosmer always shoots 16 people. I kind of wanted to count. I wonder if they shot 16 people. I wondered the same thing, but I was so deep into the movie that I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not going to rewatch it. Not right now, but (laughs) I it wouldn't surprise me if they if they did pay that much attention to it. But the the interesting thing and and. A lesser writer director, because I I feel Shane Black is uh, really underappreciated. Same with the other guys, basically his spiritual successor film, where he he casts uh, Ryan Gosling, you know, star of Hollywood, winner of awards and, you know, major productions. He casts him as a freaking idiot. (laughs) He is just dumb. (laughs) He is dumb and lazy and not very good at his job. Yeah. As a daughter, he's trying to impress, you know, he's not stealing action figures, but, you know, it's the same thing. Right. Uh, I love how Harry Lockhart constantly thinks he's like, he wants to be the hero of a Johnny Gosmer story, but he has no skills to back it up. <laughs> yeah. Like, as as when... you discover pretty early on when he's getting his ass beat at that party. <laughs> And then shortly thereafter, when he goes on the the stakeout with Gay Perry, like they 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 notice some like some shady shit happen, and the first thing he does is like, "Hey, you guys up there, you guys!" Very clearly dressed in black ski masks <laughs> that didn't know they were there. He draws attention to themselves, and then when he's given a gun to hold, just hold it he throws it in the lake where the thing that they just shot (laughs) that would link the gun to them is there (laughs) and let's let's make it clear here gay perry is not friends with harry lockout lockhart throughout the entirety of this movie (laughs) yeah uh that when you talk about the tonal shifts and like the whiplash like when you know harry lockhart first like finds out that um Harmony, you know, committed suicide. Yes. And he's like leaning against the car. He's like, he's having like a Gay typical Perry's breakdown. Like, and like, I I have to go. I I have to. He's like trying to push him <laughs> off the car. Oh, he, I just, he does like push him <laughs> off the car and drive off. He comes back though because Harry has his cell phone. 
is so awkward and hilarious. Uh, and I don't I don't want to like just repeat Val Kilmer jokes, but the it's the exchange still gay me no I'm knee deep in pussy. I just like the name so much I can't get rid of it. <laughs> the, that delivery I I paused the movie. I was laughing so fucking hard. It's so deadpan as well and everyone is playing it so straight Mm -hmm. any scene that they're in it's played very seriously i think one of my favorite harry lockhart scenes is when he goes to the christmas party that uh harmony is at and Mm -hmm. like he says something to someone and then gay perry shows up it's like who all here hates him and like the entire party (laughs) raises their hands oh man this movie this movie is hilarious but there is um, there there is a scene later on that like shows again like how this can definitely go from one one direction to the other. Harry Lockhart gets uh, he gets injured uh, just to not spoil a great <laughs> moment, <laughs> and he's in the back of Harmony's car, and the, uh, events take place that takes Harmony out of the car. But someone who was in those events steals the car with Harry in the back seat asleep on painkillers, <laughs> and he wakes up. And he, like, realizes, like, this is not my beautiful house, like, kind of thing. And (laughs) then he realizes where he is, hides under the bed, and then someone gets killed. And it's this this really heart-wrenching scene because he, like, he's telling her to be, the, the person to be quiet because if she says anything, he's dead. But, like, the look of anguish on his face that he has to watch her die. Yeah. And so a moment later when he like pulls himself out from under the bed, the guy that killed her had left the gun on the bed. And it's just this very frank scene where he shoots him three times, killing him. Mm -hmm. And then flip side that when he's like trying to like get in contact with Perry and Harmony of like, what's going on? Where are you guys? (laughs) A dog. (laughs) Oh God. So, like, again, this very heart, like, heartfelt, like, sincere scene of, like, human tragedy and, like, just, like, having to witness something that as a normal person isn't good and clearly affects him. This movie starts, his story starts in New York with him, like, giving an auteur performance when it's really him just realizing the gravity of what he, what is done. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah. Oh, it's those those scenes like I don't know, this feels like shitty movie critics speak, but they feel earned like they're not like they never ask for too big of a leap to like believe that these characters are feeling what they're feeling. Like Yeah, it the these serious scenes, again, everything is played with such a sincerity, even if it's a humorous interaction or a serious interaction. Like the the scene where Harry's getting tortured and then gay Perry is like <laughs> goading on this guy who's homophobic by like reaching into his hands, but then like reaching into his his boxers because they've been stripped to the to the underwear, and then you realize what he's doing, and it's like that. the The thing I like about it is Robert Downey Jr.'s narration is like spastic and like not pace well, like. Like, mm-hmm. when he introduces Harmony, he's like, oh, oh, fuck, uh, Harmony, <laughs> yeah, she was the girl in the box. <laughs> like, I didn't tell you guys that? Oh, fuck. Yeah. 
It's a much better, like, unreliable narrator than, like, what Shutter Island was. Like, it's tough to compare the two, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, yeah, the unreliable. Like, this narrator, one's obviously much more comedy focused. Yeah, the unreliable narrator in this, like, you find out that this is, as a spoiler, it's a framed narrative. This is Harry just talking about the case to the camera into a recorder um, after this is all said and done. And mm-hmm. so his asides and all that is like him trying to like focus his thoughts, much like people doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Really Bouncing around all over the place. It's loosely structured, but no one knows where we're going next. Uh, I think that this movie is a treat. And in the hand, like I said earlier, in the hands of a lesser writer and director than Shane Black, it would fall flat. But because he knows what he's doing and he's been writing scripts for so long and he's been directing movies for a fairly long time, uh, it just, it works. He is the reason with his writing that I like Iron Man 3 as much as I do. Because mm-hmm. all those scenes with Robert Downey Jr.'s um, uh, Tony Stark character being a snarky asshole are directly from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> it's like the yeah. sequel you never got to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, and, and it helps immensely that like Robert Downey Jr. is meant to play the snarky, bumbling asshole. You know, it's... It, we talked about it before we started recording, but he's a character actor with a leading man's body where your words and yeah, it, that's dead on. So here's, here's a question I, I had, like, do you think that this movie, like this premise would be better as a 10 episode series? I feel like, like this is a lead into like, didn't they like do like a, a, a syndicated like pilot for this or something? That's an excellent question. I never like looked into it, but see, I think this would be great as like a a Netflix curated show that is like five episodes a season. Each episode is an hour, 20 minutes, like hour, 30 minutes. And it's it's just Shane Black doing different stories of Harry Lockhart and Gay Perry. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, it almost sets it up at the end, like, oh, it's like work for Gay Harry now, like, um, Gay Perry, I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, that that could lead directly into a into uh, a series. It's definitely a sequel hook, which is a shame, because it's the same kind of sequel hook he gave the other guys, and y'all motherfuckers <laughs> didn't go out and watch either of these films, <laughs> so we don't get any fucking sequel. <laughs> uh... Hopefully Netflix maybe in like two or three years realizes this this opportunity that they have. Well, I'm actually curious now. I'm going to look it up if you want to fill for time. Uh, I'm going to look at Brett Halliday and see if he wrote more. Yeah. Um, one of the th- other things I really liked in this movie and like this comes from the IMDb trivia is, you know, Gay Perry is generally considered to be the first openly gay character to like be a leading man in a Hollywood movie. And I th- I think that they handle it very well. Like it's obviously played for laughs or like, you know, but it never comes off as like overtly disrespectful, like more than people just kind of generally were in 2006. You know, I think we've made some good leaps since then, but you know, the representation I think is, is, is decent. That is definitely something I thought about when watching this film is like, is this film problematic nowadays watching it? And I would say no, like, you uh, again, like, some of the, the comments, like, they use a hard F 
a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But again, at the time in 05, 04, when this was filmed, eh, like uh, it yeah. makes sense. Um, by the way, uh, Brett Halliday is a pen name of Davis Dresser, an American mystery and Western writer who was born in 1904. Guy wrote from 39 all the way into 76. Like all these just different kinds of movies. <laughs> like you look, list of his novels is well over 30 long. Damn. So Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang is specifically adapted from Bodies Are Where You Find Them, which is kind of apropos going back yeah. to the first body that is discovered, the, the second body that is discovered. <laughs> they're, they're trying to set up Harry Lockhart and he's going to the bathroom after just having one heck of a night and he looks to his right and there's a body and he's heating. <laughs> so he starts peeing on the body. Oh God, this movie's so good. I want to watch it again. I want to watch it again already. Just because every scene that we talk about, there's always an extra joke that you don't maybe quite get or the delivery is just so spot on. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it is it is something to think about. Like when we watch these older films, it's like, do they stand up to the lens of today? Uh, I've had conversations with some coworkers about, uh, like, they had never watched um, once uh, Big Trouble in Little China, mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorite uh, Kurt Russell films, as well as my favorite John Carpenter films. And he was bringing up the fact that, like, you know, there's certain characters that are like pretty racist caricatures and yeah uh, and i can i can see what he's saying with that but i also brought up the fact that like never is it is it treated like a joke what they're saying a lot of the times specifically in big trouble in little china it's treated with a very real sense of like not reverence but like sincerity again I think sincerity matters where it wasn't trying to take the piss out of Chinese uh, culture and mythology and be like, Oh, the big old, the big old white guy saves the day. Like the joke of that film is that it's, it's about the comic relief sidekick thinking he's the main character, which is very similar to kiss, kiss, bang, bang. (laughs) Harry Lockhart is the comic relief sidekick who thinks he's the main character, whereas the main character is really closer to Harmony or Gay Perry. Yeah. And, um, but just like Big Trouble in Little China, the comic relief sidekick does in the end do the, the cool thing because, but there's the, the, the other, the flip side of that is Harry is an unreliable narrator, literally within his own narration. He could just be saying what sounds cool because Harmony was like passing out. Gay Perry wasn't there. Oh, and there's a massive fourth wall break at the end when they're in the hospital. Like, they're oh, bringing, yeah. they bring like everyone that was like <laughs> killed, and then Abe Lincoln shows up as well. <laughs> and then, I, they, I know and then they... he ushers everyone out, but they don't, it's, it's not like a cutback to that not actually happening. They just kind of go from there like it didn't happen within the yeah. same scene. Even though they hang like a pretty big lampshade on that whole thing, like I was still kind of bummed out that that's where it went. Oh, that it was no. This is 
No, they're they're dead. Yeah, it's like oh gay gay Perry. Well, I was more bummed out that like gay Perry actually survived. Like it did oh. uh, it's it's a single gunshot, like you know, gunshots are not super fatal if they're not like in your, you know, stomach basically or through your heart. Um it's it's plausible, but I still felt kind of cheated a little bit. Not that I would like tank this movie's rating for it, but uh, also in the IMDb trivia, they do have a total body count for the movie. It is not 16. It's 13. Ah, <laughs> they were this close. Right. Just <laughs> they they should have just had uh, Harry reference it and then just like three people get killed in rapid succession. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Interesting little note. Indigo Falconer Downey plays Harry Lockhart, age nine. It's Robert Downey Jr.'s kid. <laughs> That's a heck of a name, though. <laughs> like, oh, it's ugh. not Indigo. It's Indio. Sorry. Yeah. Falconer, though. That's a strong name. I mean, that's a good middle name. Ariel Winter is in this movie as Har- uh, Harmony Faith Lane, age seven. Yeah, the uh, girl from Modern Family. Yeah. Interesting. A lot of I I really thought she looked familiar. There is a there's a heck of a lot of people in this film. You'll recognize some other character actors here and there as like you know just wrote archetype characters. Um, I don't yeah. I don't know what more we can say about how great this movie is. <laughs> shout out shout out to Corbin Burnson. We'll yeah, Corbin Burnson also known seeing. as Sean's dad from Psych. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, also one of the things that. It's not egregious, but Robert Downey Jr. is 11 years older than Michelle Monaghan. We're supposed to believe they grew up together. Oh, yeah. The characters are Hollywood two thing, years like... apart in real life <clears throat> mm-hmm. or in the in the script. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of the, the fact that Harmony Faith Lane is and it's interesting. They don't like Harry feels this way about it. A bit of a nice guy about it. Cause he was the shoulder that she cried on when all like every boy in their hometown broke her heart who she slept with. She slept with everyone apparently. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a bit of back and forth. That's one of the things that probably hasn't aged best, but like at the same time, it's like they're not making an indictment on her. Like, cause the movie never says she's a bad person for doing this. Harry as a character says she's a bad person for doing this. Mm-hmm. and he doesn't even and the thing that gets him isn't that she slept with all these guys it's that she slept with the one guy that she, he asked her not to sleep with which was his best friend oh what's that character's name it's a real silly name yeah i don't um, remember any expectation you have about what this is it gets subverted um you think it's just a normal, uh, you know, whodunit murder mystery, and it is and it isn't. Um, one of the things that is a little tonally whiplash is that at the end they go back to um, their hometown, Harmony and Harry, and they bring Gay Perry with them. And there's this really kind of dark oh, yeah. scene that it, it's not inappropriate. But it's just like, man, that's probably one of the darker scenes that you've seen, especially because of the implications of what happened to Harmony Fa- Harmony's younger sister. 
Um, yeah. But it's like one of those, it's like a confrontation that you feel good about, but at the same time, it's scummy because it's bringing you back to like reality. Like these are technically real people within the universe of this film. And like, while Harry might've told this fantastical story, how much of that is true? Who are we to know? Right. Yeah. And they even, they even address it a little bit like, oh, you know, wow, that was weird. Like, (laughs) yeah. And again, there's always a same. It feels to me like that same thing of like wanting to have your cake and eat it too, uh, where they did it with like bringing Gay Perry back. They did it with this scene. It's like, we're going to put it in. We'll call it out, but we're leaving it in. Yeah. I think that overall, though, that like things like leaving Gay Perry alive, that's that's perfectly fine by me. Mm -hmm. Because you still get more jokes out of it, like (laughs) more jokes of uh, because there's something not just about Robert Downey Jr., and Val Kilmer, which I think this movie, more than a lot of other movies they ever did, showed terrific range and banter that you didn't normally see. And especially good for Downey Jr. because this was the movie that helped him like start restarting his career. Mm-hmm. Like you want a, a strong opening punch from this, uh, you know, from from getting uh, out of prison and all that. And you know, he knocked it out of the park with this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of his. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Unless you had something else. Watch this movie, even <laughs> if we don't side with it. <laughs> oh, I have one more thing. Uh, the guy who played Abe Lincoln has played Abe Lincoln four times across different series. <laughs> <laughs> he was in his his name is uh Tom Willett. He played Abe Lincoln in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, obviously. He also played Abe Lincoln on the Drew Carey show. He played it in a TV show called Bringing Up Jack and he played it in Happy Days. In Happy Days? <laughs> yep. Guy's been playing Lincoln a long time. I mean, he's got a face for Lincoln. <laughs> Hey, Aaron from the editing room here. Uh, We forgot to include a transition to a break, so join us right after this. We'll be back with Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is a 2009 movie based on the novel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And here we go. It's it has the most writers I think we've ever tackled on really? <laughs> these movies. So it is a screen story by uh, Lionel Wingram and Michael Robert Johnson, which is just basically like a treatment. And then the screenplay, the actual script, is written by Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, and Simon Kinberg, and it's directed by the indomitable Guy Ritchie. Uh, this movie stars Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law. Uh, Rachel McAdams and Mark Strong. Mark Strong. A dynamite cast. It is. Um, So I just chose to focus on Michael Robert Johnson because he was the one who was involved in the screenplay and the screen story. Um, He's best known for this movie, uh, Pompeii, and uh, the Netflix movie Mute, which was decent. My one sentence, my one word review. Uh, Director Guy Ritchie, 
who I am a total stand for, uh, is best known for Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and the criminally underappreciated The Man from Uncle. It's the closest we'll ever get to a real life Archer movie with oh, Henry Cavill God. as Archer. It so works. It need it needed to happen, but no, we're not going to get it because no one saw it. <laughs> I I dragged more than one person to see that movie. Um, so Sherlock Holmes is despondent and bored as he and his partner, John Watson, have solved their final case together. However, when the man they saw hanged for the crime, Lord Henry Blackwood, rises from his grave, then the game is afoot. Now Holmes and Watson's... Holmes and Watson and the eternally dangerous Irene Adler must frantically work to undercut to uncover Blackwood's plot as all of England hangs in the balance. There's your short spoiler free. <laughs> summary. Uh, I've probably seen this movie now seven times. Yeah. I, it, I ha- don't think I've seen it for several years. And this was the first movie I watched out of the two. And the cold open for this movie. Oh, just the streets of England, the like, quick cuts the music the robert downey jr it's it's putting on a warm blanket it's i mean i remember soul food yeah i remember when i watched this in theaters being just blown away by by the by the presentation of it all by that like sherlock holmes breaking down what he needs to do to stop this guard from you know yelling out and how to take him down yeah like that's the first dialogue you get in the movie is this like internal monologue from Holmes? Yeah, and it, and it leads later on to a great meme. Discombobulate. <laughs> oh, I I will link that video in the show notes. I'm gonna, well, I'll I'll listen to this when I edit it. But <laughs> that's oh, discombobulate, so <laughs> discombobulate indeed. Um, the uh. The, the fact that Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. just play so well off each other. Like, I feel like you could, you literally could put Robert Downey Jr. with a child and he'd play well off him. Because, oh, that's yeah. what Shane Black did in Iron Man 3. <laughs> I was going to say, if you didn't jump right to it, uh, he did exactly that. It's fantastic. Plus, just a good representation of anxiety and PTSD, I, I think. Anyways. Yeah, oh, definitely anxiety. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I was so delighted to, like, re-experience this movie. And, like, when Jude Law comes back in, like, first, oh, what a dreamboat. But also just, like, really captures, like, a, an interpretation of Watson, like, very well. I Yeah, you know. uh, I remember a, a review from when the movie was coming out and it was basically talking about, like, this is one of the few Watsons that has been put to screen where... Watson is not a bumbling idiot. Yeah, he's not like just the audience surrogate to like ask the dumb questions. And... Which is 100% what he is in the books. But it's like, no, this man has a doctor and a war vet. The reason that Holmes, like it's more, it's it's not like Holmes allows Watson to stay. It's like Watson can put up with Holmes. Yeah. And I think that is some of how he gets treated in the book. Like from my memory at least of reading it a while ago like i i wouldn't even say it's even the books that he gets that treatment it's like other media since then probably like the basil rathbone stuff and like uh yeah it's like here's because you always need you always need a bit of an idiot to 
stand in for the audience and get and stuff explained. Who better to than you. the narrator slash writer of the in-universe adventures? Yeah. I always kind of liked that conceit. Like, no, the, the Sherlock Holmes adventures you're reading are Dr. Watson writing them down and telling you them. Yeah. And like Holmes is also like a very good kind of, is it anti-hero? Like, you know, he has his own issues. Nominal and again, hero. Cause it, cause the film does like uh, multiple things so well with the characterization is that Sherlock Holmes, he's not just brilliant. There might be something, there's definitely something wrong with him to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like he's probably on the spectrum is what it is. Like his, his attention for detail, he can never turn it off. There's that great scene early on in the, uh, his favorite restaurant where he's first meeting, uh, Mary, which is uh, Watson's fiance that he's marrying and leaving Holmes and their bachelor lifestyle for. Mm -hmm. And Holmes is super fucking angsty about it. (laughs) Yeah. That was something like, like never gets directly addressed, but I, I interpreted like Holmes is like maybe intentionally misread the whole thing with the ring. Like, you know, it kind of depends on how much faith you put into like this deductive superpower that he has. But like, does he know that, you know, the the like tan line on Mary's ring finger was like because of a death or, well, you know, does he really think so little of her that it's like, oh, you traded it away when you found out it was some cheap bauble or. Right. I, I think that is him extrapolating his own emotions onto her with she's taking away my best friend who I won't see anymore. Who's one of the few people that I respect and can relate to. Yeah. And that is you. I think you get that sense because his, his, his guesses about other characters is so spot on that he's not doing it to be mean to Mary. That's who he thinks Mary is because of the emotional like again there's so many layers of him not showing his true emotions especially with the irene adler stuff like Mm -hmm. irene adler from what i know in the books she's in like two stories and she's a con woman that gets the upper hand on holmes in both of them or maybe she appeared in one story is mentioned elsewhere and it's been like a historical thing that people have literally it's one of the older ships that exists <laughs> where Irene Adler would be a perfect match for for uh, Sherlock Holmes. So much so that that was even the extrapolation that the BBC Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberland um, <laughs> uh, took where yeah. like it is a romantic interest that he has in her, which I don't know the books. It might be something that is there. However, it's definitely not the way it is portrayed in this movie and that show. Yeah. Again, I wish I had read the books more recently, but I would have to go back and look it up. I mean, it's it's played pretty well in this movie. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of like very subtle things that gives because it's also a PG-13 movie. So like Holmes is like crippling opium addiction. Like maybe we don't show that directly, but it's heavily alluded to multiple times. Uh, It's cocaine as well. The seven percent solution is cocaine. Yeah, the um, yeah the eye surgery medication. Other other cocaine. things have alluded to him being a heroin addict, but I don't think that's the original interpretation of him. Well, I mean, like when he does the um when he's trying to understand like the summoning ceremony, he's like, oh yeah, I went through it and added a little, 
you know, few things of my own. And then he's like, I went down a rabbit hole, which is kind of like, you know, I, I interpreted to be a coded reference to opium oh, or heroin. Oh, chasing the white rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good, a good amount of it for keeping like a PG-13 rating where you're not going to just show him with a needle in his arm or like hanging out in an opium den, which he definitely does do in the books. I remember that. <laughs> okay. So fair enough. Uh, you know, something to kind of contrast this film with the previous one uh, that we were talking about is the mystery in this, you're kind of along for the ride. Whereas mm-hmm. the mystery in Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, if you pay attention, you could reasonably around the halfway mark figure out what's going on. Yeah. Whereas that was... this ahead. movie, because they're doing this kind of like the mystical versus the the rational like battle with uh lord blackwood or blackmore blackwood blackwood uh, yeah blackwood blackwood what <laughs> it's black um <laughs> because they're doing this mystical versus rational thing that's kind of like the crux of why he wants to defeat blackwood to a degree um they don't give you enough information ahead of time to let you know what's going on if you pay attention. So like you can't figure out what his ultimate goal is or how he's going to do it necessarily quickly. Yeah. I, I kind of liken it to like Scooby-Doo where it's like, okay, yeah, sure. If we had like, well, so Sherlock Holmes wants to tow this like very thin line like where they do in the book where it's like it seems magical and impossible or in the books where it seems magical and impossible but with the right amount of science like you can reproduce this where i feel like this movie kind of takes a leap into the scooby-doo where it's like yeah that person could be a ghost if you have if you allow us the conceit that like perfect hologram projectors you know exist and in this one it's like that you know gas dispersal devices has basically a borderline magic shield around it like yeah magnetic fields don't really work like that it's like um the 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 dueling films the prestige and the illusionist the -hmm. prestige they were doing real magic with real like things up until the very end with the final tricks the illusionist was cgi throughout like they talked about it as if it was real, but they didn't actually take the time to make it happen. Whereas the prestige did. So in a sense, this is kind of that same thing going on with these two films we're talking about where yes, you can see where they're making these, these extrapolations and like, it's not unreasonable that that is the the solution to it. But the fact that we, the audience are never given enough information to figure it out ourselves is because they're they're trying to do different things this i would say is almost like a character study on what these people would be like if they're presented more grounded Mm -hmm. and um kiss kiss bang bang is like these are real people you don't get to be the cool guy because this is real life (laughs) yeah um yeah there's kind of like two tiers of of like stuff that goes on in this crime there's like there's one where it's just like oh he just paid the guard like 500 shillings or whatever fantasy currency to act (laughs) like he's possessed or like you know made a 
dissolvable <laughs> thing out of honey and egg whites or whatever. But it's like it's and Holmes is definitely flexing his intellectual muscle, being like, um, "This is how I came to this. This obscure thing from the Orient." Yeah. Which actually is like a very Sherlock Holmes thing because like in the books he has like books of like collections of like tobacco leaves from 500 different places and he just remembers them all. So I think this movie, yeah, yeah, it's uh, this movie is really great for like the tone and the setting and the set dressing. Like this is a version of Victorian London that you don't often see. It's grimy. It's dirty. It's mm-hmm. it's not pleasant overall to be in this city. Like it's almost like suffocating with its industrialism. Yeah. I do love a lot of the outdoor shots in this movie because I feel like so often in in Victorian pieces, you know, to save money and and make a set a realistic budget, you have just like okay, here are these small sets, here's like a single city street or whatever where in this movie you have like huge like helicopter shots basically of like you know it's the london bridge being constructed and yeah the tower bridge yeah thank you <laughs> i'm sure that's a common thing i just messed up i was just like um flip it this used coin. to be the london bridge but then they sold it to an american who brought it over and put it in arizona london hmm. bridge is in arizona the, the original london bridge is in arizona the tower bridge that is now referred to by many people as london bridge is still in london Interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. The I learned that know. from a movie. <laughs> Fitting. Um, yeah. So there's like a good, and obviously it's all CGI, but it it it's done well enough that it really holds up. And like, yeah, the, the, the CGI is is never jarring. Like, I recently rewatched um, Return of the King, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Decent amount of that CGI does not hold up to today's standards. Yeah. Um, much as it, I, I enjoy that film. Um, but uh, I really like the back and forth between Holmes and Watson in this. You get the sense that these two have been friends for a long time. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot unsaid. There's, you know, in references to things that have happened between them. There's... I love the running gag of Holmes, like, wanting to be a master lock picker. But everyone just busts the door down anyway. It's pretty good. Um, One of the, like, obviously, like, the snappy dialogue, quick edits are all, like, kind of a Guy Ritchie staple. Yeah, I like how this is, while it's a a genre film trying to set up a franchise, it's still a Guy Ritchie film. Oh, yes, very much. Um. One of the one of the like really small things that I like is uh when Watson is is going through Holmes's place after he's like, you know, despondent after finishing this case. Yeah. Um he's goes through to extinguish the fire and like picks up a glass and just sniffs it first. Yeah. Just to check before throwing it on an open flame. And what so have, like that What have you done to my uh, to our dog? <laughs> <laughs> That so that that little sniff is just like it's a little touch that I don't know maybe improv maybe not maybe it's just in the script from day one but it was a really nice like subtle thing that I enjoyed. It's uh, another another great one I like is the um, when they're both in the uh, the holding cell and you know like 
uh, Holmes fell asleep, whereas Watson was like up all night and he's on edge and he's like re- looking at his ledger or his diary, and mm-hmm. like Holmes is making these like statements and he's like he's like the put upon spouse. It's like what if I have a complaint? When you when you <laughs> play violin into the early hours of the morning or experiment on a dog multiple times, <laughs> yeah, um, or your general really... lack of hygiene. <laughs> It's a real good way to handle that relationship. And I like, I don't think this movie would have worked as well if it was an origin story. Like, I definitely think it is helped by us not by this being literally like supposed to be the end of their journey together. Like, no, like this, like the only place that Holmes has left is, you know, the Rhinebeck Falls, basically, <laughs> which if you know Sherlock Holmes, you know what Rhinebeck Falls means. Mm. And it's it, and it. I do truly feel it's a shame that because the the game of shadows didn't get enough of a box office grab, that they did not make a third one to round it out as a trilogy. Um, uh, we have not s- talked about uh, Rachel McAdams in this yet. Yeah, I I I adore her in this role. <laughs> she she's amazing. Um, it's a great character for her. Uh, they, sh- her character in the in the stories is playing against type, and then in universe is playing against type. There's that great sequence when she, you know, breaks into Holmes's uh, apartment, and you know he very quickly <laughs> puts down <laughs> the 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 cameo of her. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, the only other picture there is Watson. So clearly, the two people that matter most to him <laughs> are Watson. And Irene Adler. I think he also, he definitely holds on to her handkerchief throughout oh, yeah. the, the movie after Discombobulate. Which, right. that's probably my favorite scene just because of the tonal shift that happens. That's right after the dinner, the the disastrous dinner where he insults Mary deeply to her <laughs> core. And mm-hmm. Watson like leaves him alone. And yeah. so his coping mechanism is like, well, I'll get drunk and go fighting, which... So if there's one thing Guy Ritchie loves, it's shirtless bare-knuckle boxing. <laughs> against guy, <laughs> one guy that looks like a real guy that does that, an actor. Yeah. Shout out to Robert Downey Jr.'s workout routine, though. <laughs> um, but that is such a great scene uh, because of the Dubliners song that's playing because of the setting, because of how much it's, it's like, it's just so good. Um, and then like we get a second, the second scene with the perfect, this mustn't register on an emotional level, which is, is, is mimetic in its own right. But just that's the kind of guy he is. Like you do something that is insulting after I'm basically saying, no, you won. Like, I'm going to take you down because I was just playing with you before. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for this. I got to find out where Irene is. Yeah, it's it's a very believable version of Sherlock Holmes as a fighter. Because, the, you know, the previous incarnations of him, even the Benedict Cumberbatch one, it's a bit of a stretch to think that Sherlock Holmes could handle himself in a fight. Yeah. And he, he is getting his ass beat by a dredger up until basically, you know, he finds the magical taser. <laughs> Um, best girl for me in this movie, I gotta say, is Mary Kelly Riley. Oh yes, uh, yeah. on a per, on a personal level. 
I, I think uh, she does a good job. It's like I could understand why Watson would want to go with a woman like that. She's she's independent enough and strong willed mm-hmm. enough to like Sherlock Holmes is a folk hero slash uh you know my celebrity and he insults her and she's not gonna let that stand yeah also a fun fact uh kelly riley the actor who plays actress who plays mary uh is in the tv show yellowstone which is a taylor sheridan's project the wind river director oh all these degrees of separation that are happening with these films um, Sometimes referred to as nepotism. <laughs> no, 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 uh, I know from uh, the sa- same review I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of references and a lot of characterization in this in this movie that is deep Sherlock Holmes lore in a sense. Yeah, but, which isn't something that a lot of people put on. Like the biggest one on display is that Sherlock Holmes is a competent fighter. Um. Apparently in the books, he knows some obscure Eastern martial art. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know if they actually patterned his moves off that martial art, but that'd be kind of cool if they did. Yeah. Oh, did you? I was I tried looking for it. Like when I was watching the movie, I couldn't find anything definitive. But like the slow motion scenes in in the um, the boxing, like, Mm -hmm. does he hit that dude? Because. There is some serious ripple that um, I think looks too good to be CGI. I'm I'm not sure. I know for a fact that in Game of Shadows, the sequel, the slow motion was done by the slow-mo guys. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was done here by them as well. And so, like, they have definitely done videos where they, like, full-on slap their friends to get to show you what that looks like. So Right. And you would think that, like, well... You know, like Harry Houdini famously took like cannonballs to the gut terminally, uh, but it wasn't a cannonball. It was a guy who right. sucker punched him. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, you know, like you can take a decent hit like that. Like it might be tough to take it to your jaw like he does in the movie, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled their punches for that or did some CGI spoofing a bit. Um, they mm-hmm. could have also done stuff with like you know, the like ballistics gel with like really good makeup on it to get those punches mm. and hits. But then yeah. you see those exact moves done in the fight. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, that, yeah. There was a story going around like one of those, you know, one of those things you'd see in a PR cycle where uh, Robert Downey Jr. got knocked out in one of these movies, like during a fight scene. Uh, uh yeah wasn't it this one by the big french guy i'm gonna look it up right now yeah it was robert mallier who plays dredger i believe yes because yeah, he is like a professional strongman isn't he or is he a fighter uh he's a big fuck off guy at the very <laughs> yeah least. he's he's seven he's seven foot tall um yeah just got knocked out gave him six stitches in his mouth <laughs> Uh, I like the, the the moments that they have, like just as character building of like, uno momento si for play, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good callbacks, yeah, and then it shows the kind of fighter that Holmes is. He's very pro- pragmatic. He he's like, <laughs> when the when the big guy asks for the moment, like, no, I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
<clears throat> there's kind of like an economy of scenes in this movie that like reminded me a lot of Gone in 60 Seconds where there's just kind of there's no fat on this movie like there's no there's I, no five minutes that you could cut I think I disagree with you actually okay I disagree when the when not the the scene in and of itself to a degree but when they're in the slaughterhouse I feel that scene is a bit too long and mm. then the explosion after that the fact that it's another slow-mo scene right. feels super long yeah it feels like we're we're buying for time because I think if it was just like a quick like um a quick explosion and then like then uh Holmes like being woken up by the the one constable that is friendly to him that he's not like a huge dick to like Lestrade 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 yeah like like he is to Lestrade um which again you don't need to explain that relationship it's like clearly they've been working together for a while and yeah we we as people can infer from his actions this movie and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang both expect a little bit of intelligence from the audience this mm-hmm. one a little bit more to understand some characterization and backstories with yeah, like they're Lest- tra- they're trading heavily on that like kind of the public knows three things about Sherlock Holmes and we're just gonna assume that and move on. Yeah, but it's never it it's never beating you over the head with like again this, I think this is a perfect blend from these the screenplay of how to do a historic character right, whereas mm-hmm. I think so, like the hobbit movies are how to do it wrong yeah like we don't need some of the backstory they add and we don't need these expanded characters like we don't care there's no point to it yeah i so i I, well i'm just i do agree with you like looking back on it about that the scene with all the explosions because it's like what do you need out of that scene like you need the explosion color becomes an important detail later but like Again, it's it's that Scooby Doo thing where it's like this is going to be told to you like you're not expect it. It is a detail that you wouldn't be expected to know, like the composition of chemicals or whatever. Um, and you need to know that, like, well, I mean, you don't even need to know, think that like Watson's dead because that only happens for like, you know, a minute before the other guy yeah. says Watson's okay, like. Yeah. So, so yeah, you could cut some time down, but it's also awesome slow motion. So yeah, it, it's it's not a bad scene in and of itself, but just to the point of there's no fat on this movie. I would say in the late second, uh, early third act, if we're going by three act structure, it drags mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah, and that's because, like, we know rough by this point, we know roughly what Blackwood's plan is. And we we know that it needs to be stopped. We just don't know how. Which again, that scene provides the like, oh, this is what they're doing. Okay, let's look for you know such and such and how to find that. Did it need to be as long as that and as a little bit gratuitous as that? Probably not. And then there's the scene in the hospital where you know Holmes is for a bit persona non grata that is maybe superfluous. Again, it feels more like. It's Robert Downey Jr. flexing his like character actor skills, which again I don't hate that scene. You know I don't hate these scenes, but mm-hmm. could we trim them down? Probably because at the end this clocks in like two. Um, it's, uh, two hours eight minutes. Yeah, 
And it feels a bit long in those eight minutes, especially when it's so heavily setting up the sequel. Mm. Yeah, I would I would let it slide a little bit as far as like that, you know, the tension release kind of like, okay, we just had a big moment with like big old band saws and huge explosions. Like, let's just all catch our breath. Let's, you know. It's definitely there for like a breather a bit and to let you know that like, Holmes, I think the scene in the hospital is definitely Holmes um, coming to accept Mary is going to be a part of Watson's life. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's him saying, in a sense, goodbye to our bachelorhood together. <laughs> because yeah. I realize I have done things as your friend <laughs> that are that is leading us down a road that like if I'm your friend, I can't let you die. Right. It's a it's a lesson that every Sherlock has to learn. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, the thing I like about this overall is it feels like a story that Conan Doyle could have written at that stage of uh, Holmes and Watson's relationship in life. I don't know enough of the source material to know if this is actually a period that has investigations or if this is even a storyline that exists like did Watson get married at one point towards the late later parts of their adventures uh that I don't remember I do know that Arthur Conan Doyle had contempt for Sherlock Holmes as a character and hated that it was his most popular work right <laughs> and so that's why he kills him off in Rhineback Falls spoilers uh but then brings him back it's oh almost 200 years old like or old <laughs> yeah the the books are uh, worth a look through, and like we said, they can be had for free. So you know, I'll t- if you're I'll into it, it, it's a good read. Uh, do you have anything else for it? Or no, I think that uh, covers our thoughts on Sherlock Holmes. Oh, one last thing. Uh, <laughs> one of the interesting IMDb trivia facts that I saw was uh, when Guy Ritchie accepted the director role for this film. He said the two most common things that are out immediately are elementary, my dear Watson and Holmes's deer stalker hat, which other than um, the elementary, which I think he says in the books, the deer stalker hat is a complete fabrication from the Basil Rathbone, like hammer um, productions, versions of the character. It is not something that he ever wore in any of the books to my knowledge. Which I think works for this overall. It's like, this is a modern Sherlock Holmes for, you know, modern sensibilities. We don't need these slow, prodding Victorian mysteries where Holmes is just styling on everyone that's stupider than him. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll take a quick break and uh, come back with our final thoughts. Should we talk about some uh, some final thoughts on these two movies? Uh, I was, you know, first of all, both great. Both watching great films. both. Uh, one is much easier to watch right now than the other. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is uh, still on Netflix at this time. With I don't don't see any like it's going away soon kind of thing. So definitely the much easier to obtain for those of us that most millennials like us have Netflix. Yeah. Um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang is available on stuff like Prime and whatnot, or you could, you know, sail the pirate shores. 
<laughs> sure, sure. Um, or buy them. I mean, that's an option too. Oh <laughs> like, shit! You're right. Oh, you can geez. buy things permanently. <laughs> you can probably pick up a DVD of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for uh. For yeah, not, I got one lying around much. somewhere. Just uh, <laughs> add us at the Match Cut Podcast on Twitter, and maybe I'll send it out. I don't know. Send your self-addressed stamped envelope to Matt, care of Mash Cut. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you'll know where I live. Um, (laughs) I think only owing to the fact that I've seen Sherlock Holmes multiple times because it is on Netflix, I'm going to go with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, it's a a good-ass movie. Um, I, however... And I can't remember if this is the first time we'll disagree. I'm going to go in for uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh-huh. Um, my reasoning for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang being my preferred one is, again, because I've watched Sherlock Holmes so many times, I am noticing places where it drags a little bit, where it's not as uh, well-paced as it could be. And owing to the fact that I haven't seen Kiss, ba- Kiss Bang Bang as much, um it's it's quicker it's peppier it feels like every scene is moving quick enough it doesn't dwell too much on things uh the humor is just perfect perfectly tonal for the dark comedy that shane black writes and yeah i think it these are both movies where two male leads play off each other really well i just think Mm -hmm. the interaction between harry and gay perry is very unique to cinema, whereas the Holmes-Watson relationship is solid and it works for the characters, but it's not spectacular. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, for my my part, I'll say that I'm not entirely unbiased. Like like I said, I'm a huge fan of Guy Ritchie and... um, like I said, coming back to this movie, it's it's putting on a warm blanket for me. Like it, it just feels good. It you know, the quick cuts, the snappy dialogue, like the the interplay between Holmes and Watson. And I, I think that I think that Holmes and Watson is a bit unique in Hollywood relationships, just because Watson doesn't take that like idiot role. Mm-hmm. Um, like he has, he has his moments. Like he almost runs into the glass uh, spike that, but uh, that Blackwood thing, is holding. But that doesn't even exist until it's revealed with the CGI. Yeah, like you know he. But we see it a couple times where just like you know he has his flaws, but it's not the typical like oh he's a bumbling idiot. Like he just has a bit of like rage issues where yeah he definitely he, he's an emotional individual that is. It has his passions. Like the reason that he gets blown up is because he's raring to go after Blackwood after what he just put Irene Adler and them through. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I enjoy that um, relationship. It's not the first time that Robert, or it won't be the last time that Robert Downey Jr. has to deal with an emotional person ruining his plan. See star Lord. Um, <laughs> But I, I really enjoy it in this one. And, and you know, even though Guy Ritchie directed Aladdin, I still love him. Wait, what? I, <laughs> no, I forgot that. <laughs> yep. I wish I could forget that again. 
Uh, yeah, I, I like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, absolutely, you know, deserves to be going up against Sherlock Holmes. And in some moments of my life, I'm sure I'll prefer Kiss Kiss Bang Bang more. But for me, like the the characters never really like embrace the seriousness of their situation like to a degree i think maybe is warranted like they just you know are kind of bumbling through it and are dismissive of like the gravity of the situation they're in sometimes and it, it yeah it's it's good it's good for the characters but i i find like it affects my buy-in to the movie a little bit hmm. I think the reason I am going with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is you get a much more singular vision of what the movie is supposed to be because it is a screenplay mm. and screen treatment by Shane Black then directed by Shane Black. It's definitely the movie he wanted to make with lesser compromises and understanding, you know, what he was going for whereas you had, you know, four or five different writers at different stages of this uh, of Sherlock Holmes, not to say that it was a bad vision, but it is less unique to other, to Guy Ritchie's other films. Like I'd rather watch, you know, snatch again. I'd rather watch lock stock and two smoking barrels again. I'd rather watch revolver again than maybe see his version of Sherlock Holmes. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I get what you're saying, but, um, not but I get what you're saying, and it's it's a good point that it is a singular vision executed. Um, sometimes I think with the tonal whiplash in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like it has that feeling of like different writers, it's or like different personalities, like which which tone are we gonna get next, and you never really know, and and like it works, but it can also feel a little disjointed sometimes. I will give Sherlock Holmes the benefit that it actually gets the sequel that it deserves. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a plus. We don't have a whole bunch of, you know, Johnny Gossamer-esque stories to keep going off of. We just got to watch the other guys, which go out and do that. Hopefully yeah. we'll talk about that on this podcast sometime. I think I think we could find a match for it. Yeah. But yeah, two great movies, both absolutely deserving of your time and eyeballs. I don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind, but it deserves your eyeballs. God damn it. That's uh that's uh, that's one way to say it. <laughs> so yeah. Sorry, not the, the, not the other guys, the nice guys, the nice guys. Yeah. I, yeah, for some reason, well, not well. This one is clear, but it's similar to that thing where I mess up Chinatown and Big Trouble in Little China. Mm, big Trouble in Little Chinatown. Yeah, that's you know. I feel like someone in Generation Remix could mash those two together and then get demonetized on YouTube for it. Uh, that's a reference that's flying way over my head. <laughs> Generation Remix was this thing that like came up. You remember when you could like swap different faceplates on your xbox 360 yes that was it was around that same time where they're like it's generation remix it's it's these 
young shitty kids who don't care about copyright and will just smash together things they love. Mm. Well, I think this has gone on long enough. The youth. Yeah. We've, we've said our bits. Uh, so thank you for listening. Um, you can get a hold of us through our email, uh, matchcut at gmail. No, it's matchcutpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at matchcut, uh, where I will be posting, uh, places you can watch these two movies as well as a heads up of what movies we're going to be covering next. Uh, if we should say anything wrong, which of course we don't, you can send your corrections that away. <laughs> we are infallible Ubermenches. <laughs> I don't think taking wild stabs at Sherlock Holmes' history has been cause for any errors. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So um, uh, join us next time for when we cover Layer Cake and Rock and Rolla. <laughs> yeah bring on the british crime films my body is ready <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone that's another one in the can we'll see you next time <laughs> bye bye And I, I feel like also important, I, at least for me, to make a distinction in these cases of like trials and redemption is like, don't like, don't give Jerry Bruckheimer back his platform that he used to do these horrible things, no matter how repentant he is. Like Jerry Bruckheimer? That's right, right? Like he was a target of the, uh, am I confusing him with someone else? The Me well, Too I'm, stuff? Uh, Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. Jerry Bruckheimer, to my knowledge, has been relatively clear. He just produces Michael Bay films, which he should definitely <laughs> atone for. <laughs> Didn't Jerry Bruckheimer pass away, too? My speaking ill of the dead? Uh, nope. He's 76 years old. Well, God bless him. All right, I'm going to edit that out. So... <laughs> So, hats off to you, Robert Downey Jr., National Treasure. <laughs> so, I, I, I want to bring it bring it up. Jerry Bruckheimer was actually, like, positive with the Me Too movement. He kind of sidesteps it, he kind of sidestepped it a bit by saying, like, you know, look, there's these terrible things happen in all walks of life. We need to change the world, not just Hollywood. Hollywood mm -hmm. is the focus of it because it's on the front page of the papers all the time. Yeah. So far from being a, a known predator, he is actually somewhat uh, on the sidelines supporting. Yeah, I, I named I named the wrong action movie producer. That's well, my mistake. I, I would say that Weinstein didn't. He produced everything. That's true. I mean, that that his his empire was an empire for a reason. So yeah. He's got a face for Lincoln. What if he's one of those reenactors? Because as an aside, Val Kilmer is really heavy into reacting historic characters. Specifically, the one that he's like a muse of is uh, Mark Twain. He himself like 
played Mark Twain or plays Mark Twain. I don't know what health hmm. state he's in now. He had cancer and it was really bad. Yeah. So bad that it ruined the movie um, The Snowman. Oh, yeah. The Snowman. I, I don't think that was the only thing that ruined the movie The Snowman. Uh, the movie The Snowman ruined The Snowman. <laughs> Yeah, I remember as an aside, and you can feel free to cut this out. But I remember watching that movie and being like, "This feels like a detective story." That's like the middle of like a series of detective stories. And I looked it up. <laughs> turns out I was right. It was like the middle book of like a twenty long like series of books about that detective. And I'm like, "Why is this the one we're making?" <laughs> we're just gonna. <laughs> It's basically if we made the middle movie of Johnny Gossamer, like. So you're saying what Kiss Kiss Bang Bang did? Hmm. Except they did it a lot better. Because Shane Black is a brilliant <laughs> screenwriter. All right. Should we? Uh, yeah, I think. Move on. All right.